we are going to jump right in because I have a couple of chapters to cover to make sure that Nehemiah is finished before we get into our Christmas series. And so I wish I could just stay in Nehemiah all the time. Um, and then I realized, man, it's been like four weeks and I'm only in chapter three right now and we got to get to Christmas. So with that being said, I know we're already talking about Christmas. Uh, with that being said, uh, open up to Nehemiah chapter four. We're going to go back and forth between chapters three and four. And so uh, you won't have to necessarily read along with me, but I do want you to be there so you can kind of track to some degree. Um, and so uh, Nehemiah chapter four Verse 6, uh, we are going to start right there, and, um, and then I'm going to build uh, out of 4, verse 6. So Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6, it reads uh, like this. So we built the wall, and at the wall was joined together to half, I'm sorry, and all the wall was joined together to half of its height. And I want to emphasize this here, for the people had a mind to work. I want to challenge all of us today to think about what it means to work well in the service of Christ. And here's what I want you to see. When God builds in you, and when God builds through you, it's going to take faith and sweat to see it accomplished. Now, again, I'm going to cover chapters 3 and 4. We won't read the entire chapters, but we will pull from each chapter some powerful lessons regarding our labor for the Lord. Now, I'm going to be honest with you before we pray. In some Christian circles, serving, laboring, and working are being resisted. But I'm praying this morning that we can dispel some of the fears and reveal some of the blessings that come from laboring for the kingdom of God. And so, working is more spiritual than you think. And I'm hoping that we can all understand that this morning. So let's pray, and then let's get into the text. Heavenly Father, even as I wrestle internally about preaching, about working, um, even as I wrestle internally about wanting to talk about the heart and discipleship and what you're building inside of us through Christ, there is a part of me that understands that we are also called to sweat and so I pray, Lord God, that this morning's message would reach the inner man, the outer man, and your spirit would speak um, through me. So I just pray a blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever considered that your work is a form of worship? I want you to look at some of the characters mentioned in chapter 3. Let's start with verse 1 of chapter 3. It says this, Then Eli Ashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built 
the sheep gate. Now, if you're in chapter 3, why don't you skip to verse 5. Verse 5 reads like this. The Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Let's stop right there for a moment. It's interesting to me that according to verse 5, by refusing to participate in the physical repairing of the physical walls, the Tekoite nobles were not serving their Lord. In this case, God did not distinguish between their work and their worship. In that moment, in the eyes of God... In that moment, in the eyes of God, work and worship were one in the same. Now, I want you to watch. In contrast to these entitled nobles were the humble priests of verse 1. And I believe it was not by accident that the humble priests were mentioned first in this record of the rebuild. In fact, Eli Ashib, the high priest, was the very first name mentioned in the entire rebuild process. Now listen, the high priest, who was the chief overseer of worship in Israel, set the example for the rest of the nation to follow. And he proved by his actions, there is nobody too spiritual to sweat for the kingdom of God. Now, to all of you spiritual leaders in the room, there will never be a point in which you walk. There will never be a point in your walk where you mature beyond serving coffee and cleaning bathrooms. Eli Ashib, the high priest, mentioned number one in the rebuilding record, was repairing the walls with his brothers who were priests too. And to all of those in here who are looking at the leaders in the room and saying, see, I told you. But you call yourself a follower of Christ. Don't buy into the lie that suggests discipleship is possible without serving. I pray Inspire Church never becomes a church full of Tekoite nobles posing to be disciples. Seatbelts a little bit here. Can we stop over-spiritualizing our inactivity? Uh, Let me give you two observations. Observation number one, I need rest. I need to be healthy. Let me start by saying, I get this. In fact, Inspire Church champions this. You're not going to find another church or another pastor that wants to make sure that we are resting and to make sure that we are healthy. But we have to remember that our work can be a form of worship. So we must be careful to live within the tension of service and Sabbath. We have to live in that tension of resting and working. We must keep in mind, are you ready for this? That work is a blessed activity. When we work, we reflect God. 
In fact, we're told God worked six days and he rested how many? One day. Yet sometimes we're tempted to walk out our discipleship as if God rested six days and worked one. That's theology right there. I need rest. That's, that's not my gift. It's the second way we over-spiritualize our inactivity. That's not my gift. And, and, and I get this too, amen. There's some of you, you're not gifted to be a nice person, so we don't put you on hospitality. But we're hoping the Holy Spirit would do a work. It's not about a gifting. It's the fruit of the Spirit actually, right? Amen, hallelujah. I'm, get off of my... But here's what I'm trying to say. I get this, but your gift is not your license to pick and choose when, where, and how you release your service. You know, we are called to be, you know, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. You know, Jesus said that I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. In fact, Jesus Jesus said I didn't come to be served, but to what? Serve. I came to serve. And so we call ourselves Christians and we follow Christ. And that means you and I are servants. We're servants. And so I get your gift, but your gifts can't become a license to pick and choose when and where you will serve. Now, let me just give you some more key examples from chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 8. Next to Uziel, the son of Hananiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, One of the perfumers repaired. If you skip down to verse 12, next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Are you ready for this? He and his daughters. Woo! Now, you don't get it because you didn't read the chapter like I did, but if you read the chapter, over 51 names of families are mentioned that have repaired, and this is the only family where the daughters got their hands dirty. Anyway. Let's go to verse 32. The goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Now, why am I giving you all of these rapid fire? In the body of Christ, there are many parts. Amen? I agree with that. I live by that. Some are the mouth, some are the feet, some are the... Are you with me? So I get that. And I, and I get we all do different things. But during this rebuilding project, priests, goldsmiths, perfumers, merchants, and even daughters picked up the necessary tools without the necessary skills and worshiped the Lord through their service. Please, 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 it's inevitable. Don't think that this is a commercial for serving on an Inspire Serve team. This is bigger than that. My prayer is that we would become a church full of servants because we're a church that understands the gospel. If you don't serve, then you don't understand the gospel. If you don't serve, then you don't understand the gospel. And you might say, well, what is the gospel? Get this. Jesus, who was the noble of nobles, the king of kings, stooped down to the lowest place and served all of humanity on a cross. Jesus, who was the noble of nobles, born in the palaces of all palaces, right? Not born. Uh, he was in the palaces of all palaces, was born in a dirty manger. He went high and came low. He stooped to the lowest part and allowed his own creation to crucify him so that all of humanity would be washed, not just their feet, but their entire body. 
If we understand the gospel, then we understand what it means to serve. Now listen, if work can be a form of worship, then you can expect to encounter warfare against your work. Warfare against your work. I found in chapter 4 of Nehemiah five typical ways the enemy tries to discourage us from working. Now, if you're taking notes, I'm going to say them to you right now really plainly. Number one, he exposes our weakness. Number two, he frustrates us with time. Number three, he belittles our gifts. Number four, he intensifies his attacks. And number five, he exaggerates the workload. Five typical ways the enemy tries to discourage you and I from working. And this is the way the enemy was trying to discourage Nehemiah and his people from repairing the wall. Number one, the enemy loves to expose our weaknesses. I want you to look at verse 4, chapter 2, and we're going to read the first simple lines there. In fact, it might be not the first simple lines, but verse 4, I'm going to open up myself. Chapter, verse, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 2, and it says this. And this is Sambalot. This is a gentleman who uh, opposes the Jews. He says, in the presence of his brothers and in the presence of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Now, later on in verse 3, somebody else will say, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Sound like some sort of like adolescent fight, right? <laughs> like, you know, what are you building? What kind of wall are you building? So I want you to see, not only is the enemy mocking the feebleness of the people, but also the enemy is mocking uh, the fragileness of the wall. So you're feeble and what you're trying to build won't stand. And so one of the... The normal ways, the regular ways that the enemy will attack our work is by trying to expose our weakness. Now, as I was thinking about the word feeble, I realized this discouragement can surface itself in two ways. Are you ready? As I was thinking about the word feeble, I realized that this discouragement can surface in two ways. Feeble can literally refer to a physical condition. And as I thought about a physical condition, I immediately began to think about, alongside of my wife, two discouragements that I've seen emerge and inspire that have to do with this. Are you ready? Over the two years of planting a church, I've seen two discouragements that have merged out of the enemy trying to expose our weakness physically. Number one is, for some, the enemy taunts you about your age. I've seen it. Are you, have you said this? I'm too old. My, my time has passed. Are you with me? I can't make an impact like I used to. And here's the one that as your pastor I personally get angry about. I'm being replaced by the next generation. But here's the truth. Are you ready for this? If Inspire loses its fathers and mothers, it'll only produce immature orphans. We need you. Don't go. Don't go. 
The goal isn't to become a bunch of 20-somethings in this room. Sure, maybe the sound is a little bit younger. Sure, maybe the demographic gets a little bit younger. Sure, sometimes Pastor Phil might say some things maybe a little bit more relevant to younger people. But I want you to know that your goal in this season is to mother and father the kids that need you. Need you. And if you're not shining in the lights, may you forever be in the background encouraging a generation to keep building. Second, that has to do with feebleness. Are you ready? And I've seen this at Inspire. For others, your health frustrates you. You wish you could do more. But some ailment or some permanent disability or something that has happened to you has limited you drastically. But can I just tell you this? Just because you're physically unable does not mean that you can't serve inspire well. Your example of faithful endurance during seasons of painful suffering is more important to our church than your ability to accomplish any kind of physical labor. Your example of faithful endurance in the midst of painful suffering is more important to our community and our discipleship and our growth than your ability to be able to move chairs. Feeble isn't just referring to a bodily weakness, but it also can refer to mental feebleness, mental weakness. And I just thought of three. Number one, maybe you're easily intimidated. What do I mean by that? Maybe you're easily intimidated by what it'll cost you to give your life to God's work. Instead of finding a passion for a burden, you just find fear of commitment. Maybe you're easily intimidated. Maybe you're indecisive. Maybe you become comfortable with being undecided and unsettled. And it's difficult for you to trust God and stay in one place. So you know what happens? You're constantly moving on never experiencing the blessing of being planted. Never experiencing the blessing of being planted. Or perhaps it's an insecurity of feeling ill-equipped. Maybe you're constantly focusing on what you don't have, like experience or skill, and that becomes an excuse as to why you are not moving forward. But here's what I need you to remember. The enemy's goal here is to get us to go from being led by the Spirit to being driven by our insecurity. But the gospel teaches us, ready, that in our weakness, he is made strong. And so when the enemy tries to expose weakness to keep you from working, the gospel actually disarms the enemy's uh, weapon against you by actually agreeing with the enemy. But the gospel takes it one step further. The gospel just doesn't agree that you and I are weak, but the gospel says that our weakness becomes a platform for God's strength to be revealed. And so we move forward so that God could be glorified because he uses the weak things. Amen? Number two, you'll also see in chapter four a frustration of time. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 2, the second mockery that the enemy will say 
or jeer against the Jews will be this. Are you really going to finish that up in one day? Really? You you really think this is going to happen really quickly, and all of a sudden you're just going to start sacrificing? You really think this is going to be a one-day job? Here the enemy is mocking the speed of the rebuilds. Some of, some of us get discouraged. You ready for this? Some of us get discouraged when we feel like God is not working according to our watch. He's not moving according to my time. It's not happening fast enough. And we can be so unreasonable with God, can't we? Let me give you some unreasonable thoughts. We want God to undo in 10 minutes at an altar call what the enemy has spent decades creating in your life. We give God one prayer meeting. We give him one connect group. We give him one counseling session. We give him one month, one year for him to accomplish a goal that was never his goal for us in the first place. is sad but true we hold our devotion hostage because we actually think that God owes us we think he owes us can I tell you two things first you need to repent you need to repent second you need to remember what God is building in us and what God is building through us is meant to last for eternity now watch Because it's about eternity, it's not always about your personal clock. And because it's about eternity, it's not always about your priorities. And can I just say something about the gospel? The gospel says you don't earn or deserve anything. God owes you nothing, yet he stooped low and came down and gave you everything. So if you're frustrated because you feel like God is not doing something and that he owes you something, maybe you need to repent and believe, thank you, in the gospel. Because in the scheme of eternity, Jesus has given us everything. What else does he owe us? Does he owe us anything? Number three, the enemy belittles our gifts. He puts down what we bring to the table, doesn't he? Listen to verse four, chapter 4, verse 2 again. Will they revive the stones out of the heap of rubbish? Will they revive the stones out of the heap of rubbish? Do they think they're going to make this in a day? Look how feeble they are. Do they really think that they're going to take the stones that have been destroyed and burnt down and actually build something with those, that trash? The enemy is saying, besides the timber that you brought, Nehemiah, we know the king gave you the timber. That's nice. Besides the timber that you got from the king, everything else you have to work with is trash. In other words, none of the materials that you already have in possession is good enough to work with. But here's what I want you to get. We serve a God who specializes in using damaged pre-existing material for his glory. And this should invigorate and excite us. The implications of that are freeing, amen? This means your past failures or your present failures don't disqualify you from moving in the glory of God. You might be thinking, how could God build something new on top of things that are so damaged? But this is the beauty of the gospel, amen? No one has ever come to Jesus innocent. 
All of us have come damaged. All of us have come guilty. All of us have come disqualified. Yet because of Christ's shed blood on the cross, not only do we receive forgiveness, not only do we remove, not only does he remove the stains of shame, but he also empowers us to take the weapon that used to be used against us to free others for his glory. And it becomes your testimony. And what you used to be bound by and addicted to and the sins that used to control you now become a testimony to those that are listening. Say, look, if Jesus has freed me, he can free you too. Amen? Amen. I want to share it really quickly. Again, we were thinking through this part that he belittles our gifts. He belittles the pre-existing material that we brought to work with. I want to share a story with you. Uh, Something that caught Jamila's eye, her and I were reading this together, was this, reviving the stones out of the trash. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. I have no doubt in my mind, as I was putting this together, it just really felt like, after frustrated, fighting through this, just really felt like this in particular was for somebody. Not everything from your past is garbage. In fact, you probably didn't know it, at the time, but God was planning on using it for his glory. Listen, there are some redeemable and reusable stones in your rubble. I really believe this. Many times God will take some things you thought you were doing for yourself in the past and bring it up again this time for his purposes. Let me explain. From about the ages of 18 to 23... I was a college wanderer. Parents probably remember this. Let me describe to you what a college wanderer is. Some of you wander the world. I wandered colleges. I attended five different colleges. Chabot. Ohlone. Sac City. Sac State. Then I came back. I went to Chabot again. Actually tried out for a baseball team. And then I had made it through some rounds of cuts. Finally, the coach came up and he said, Philip, you're on the bubble. For those of you who know who play ball, that means you're one of the next to be cut. You need to do something about it. I think they do this to weed people out now when they start getting to the final rounds. And so I actually never came back. <laughs> I was a quitter as well. <laughs> I want you to hear this. <laughs> During that time, I took more classes than I could count, and I averaged a W <laughs> every semester. Amen. We, know, we got somebody that got some W's on here? It was just all wins, baby. <laughs> During that time, I had no idea what I really wanted to do or what I wanted to be. I was just kind of aimless going to school. Because that was kind of the right thing to do. After a while, I dropped out of college. And all I had to show for it at the time was money wasted. Yeah. Random, <laughs> random transcripts and tons of hours of my life that I felt I gave away to lectures and homework. And for four years after that, that's exactly what it was limited to. But then, at the age of 27, God did something unexpected. He led me back to college, but this time it was Bible college. Now, this is important. 
And everything that I had thought I had previously wasted now set me up to achieve the purpose God had for my life. All the classes, all the money spent, all the time and homework allowed me to enter into Bible college and ultimately get to a place where I could graduate with a bachelor's degree in biblical studies, but I was able to enter into Bible college as a junior instead of starting this all over. What's my point? God loves to revive stones out of the trash. And those stones that were once burned, throw away, and forgotten now become central pieces in his rebuilding project in your life. Nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. Not your past failures, not your dead dreams, not the past places that you felt like you wasted time. God reveals it, revives it. He breathes it out into your life, and it becomes a tool for him to build in you and through you for his glory. Number four, Satan and the enemy loves to intensify attacks. Amen? Listen, like, you get attacked, but he likes, to, he likes to intensify it, increase it, make it louder. Look at chapter 4, and I'm going to read verse 7 through 8. It says this. When Sambalad and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard. See, I want you to notice, before this, it was just Sambalad. Before it was Sambalad and Tobiah. Now we got the Ashdodites and the Ammon. I want you to see this. When they heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward. And that the breaches were beginning to be closed. They were angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. Just three really brief observations here. Number one, uh, this is the first attack that threatens bodily harm. Notice number two, this uh, attack is provoked by the success of the building project. You see that? Number three. This new, more intensified strategy comes from different places. This new, more intensified strategy involves multiple enemies coming from multiple directions. Can I just say this? Don't be surprised at the increased intensity of warfare against your work, especially when you're doing something well or moving closer towards breakthrough. Many times an increased amount of opposition signifies the enemy's fear of your progression. Don't lose heart. Don't give in. A lot of us, we, we find a community. We find Christ, and he builds inside of us. We find maybe a church home. All of these things begin to work for us, and then all of a sudden, there's an intensity of attack. And all of a sudden, this intensity of attack, this increased level and pressure pushes you to make decisions that move further away from the things that you were finding. It intensifies. Don't be surprised when there's a pressure of intensity that causes you to move in another direction. I want you to know the enemy is fearful because breakthrough is coming. The enemy is fearful because you're beginning to find a rhythm. And this rhythm is not a worldly rhythm, but it's now becoming a rhythm that Christ has ordained for your life. But the enemy wants to knock you off that rhythm. And he'll do it. Number five. He over exaggerates the workload. <laughs> he over-exaggerates 
the workload. Look at chapter 4, verse 10. This is a kind of opposition that it comes from us. It doesn't necessarily come from the enemy, but it partners with everything else the enemy wants to say. But look at this, verse 10. The strength of those who bear the burden is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Let me say that again. The strength of those who bear the burden is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Listen to this. Out of all the discouragements, this is the one that constantly threatens us to stop. Many times, throughout your work for the Lord, you'll encounter moments and seasons of exhaustion and feeling overwhelmed. Amen. Has anybody ever felt that way? Some people immediately assume that that must be a sign to pull back, to slow down, to pull away. But many times, this is not the case. Now, I want you to look at how Nehemiah responds to this particular attack, but also to all five in succession. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 9. We prayed together and set a guard of protection against them day and night. Nehemiah responds. He said, we pray together and we set a guard of protection against them day and night. 4 verse 16. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. If you skip down to verse 17. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held their weapon with the other. Finally, and again, this is one of my favorite strategies. Nehemiah told the entire community in verse 4, chapter, 20, um, uh, chapter 4, verse 20, if there is an overwhelming attack, if they happen to attack us, if they happen to come towards us and, and there is an overwhelming uh, um, opposition against us, this is what he says, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, God will fight for us. So he's saying, hey, look, we've been getting threats. We're building. And now that we're building, we're seeing success. What God is building maybe in you, what he's building through you, things are starting to come together. The holes in the wall, the breaches in the wall are starting to be filled. The wall is growing. The city is, coming back, is being restored and revived. But we're seeing threats and we're seeing attacks. And they've increased and they've intensified. And they started verbal. Now they're threatening physical harm. And now we have to work with a weapon and a tool. And we have to constantly be in watch and be in prayer. Because at any moment, a certain part of the wall that's being built, the enemy could attack. So he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a horn. When there's an attack in a particular portion of the wall, we're going to take the men, the watchmen with the horns. They're going to race to where the attack is, and they're going to blow the trumpet. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, I want you to drop everything that you're doing, all the work that you have, and I want you to run to the place where the trumpet is because that's where the war is taking place. Now talk about community. Talk about a connect group. Getting a call because somebody in their connect is going through something. 
talk about them laying down anything that they're doing and rushing to their side to begin to pray them through, to be able to mourn with them. I want you to see this. When the enemy tried to expose their weakness, when he tried to frustrate them with how long it's taking, when he tried to belittle their gifts and tell them what you have is trash, when he intensified his attack, when he exaggerated the workload, Nehemiah called them to pray together, watch together, rally together, and fight together. And he encouraged them to do all of this while at the same time not taking their hands off of the plow. Um, I'm going to say a prayer, but I, I just, as I was kind of reading that, just something I want to share really quickly is at Inspired Church, one of the things that we really try to cultivate is this concept of community. And it's not always easy. How many of you know you can't program friendships? Right? You can't program friendships. You, you can't program real life on life dialogue. All we can do is create spaces for you to go to where those things take place. And, you know, one of the spaces here at the church, we try to create what we call connects. And what that is is an opportunity for us to go into homes, study the scripture, but actually develop relationships. But, again, you can't program relationships. That's only something that you can open yourself up to. It's only something that you can open yourself up to. And so my prayer is, Lord, I want authentic community. I want real community. I want us to do everything together. I want us to be committed together. I want us to cry together. I want us to pray together. I want us to come to our, we, I want us to come to one another's side. And when a trumpet sounds, I want us to rally to the place where the enemy is causing confusion. And I recognize that sometimes that's not always going to be met with joy. Sometimes it might be met with a little bit of suspect because the church, what are you doing? What are you saying? Why are you here? But here, here's the two things that I, I, really, I really want to maybe encourage you with. Number one is stop shutting yourself off to community. Introvert is true, but that's not an excuse. Stop shutting yourself off to community. You need it. You need it. It's for your health. It's for your growth. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to pull you from it. And number two, the second thing I want to say, and then I'm going to pray. Second, second thing I want to say is number praise. Don't shut yourself off to community. And church, can we continue to learn to be a community? Don't be territorial. Us four and no more. It's just, you know, him, him, and him, that's us. You know, when you're talking in a circle, can you keep your eyes in a swivel? Can, can, you, can you be more intentional? Can you be more intentional, intentional about knowing somebody, loving somebody, saying hi to somebody, being in their life? Can we, can we break down? I know it's human nature, and I know I'm going to constantly have to hit this, and I know sometimes I'm even going to do this, but can we stop being so guarded and, stop, and start being a family? It's not easy. It's not going to happen overnight. But can we rally together where the warfare is at its most intense? We sound the trumpet, and can we count on men and women at Inspire Church to come into a place and pray? And can, can we also stop making excuses? Nobody likes me. Nobody says hi to me. 
Well, you know, nobody wants to say hi to you. Well, why? Because you're hiding. Because you, you leave right when the, you know what I mean? It's just not even a shot. And so there's these two places of tension. I'm like, number one, can you be family? Can you open up, open up your eyes? Can you say hi to somebody? Can you invite them over for coffee? Can you hang out with somebody? And on the other end is can you, can you not over-exaggerate the fact that maybe you're not very friendly in the first place? And so here's an idea. Why don't you start being what you want? I wish people were more friendly. Be friendly. <laughs> Amen. I know I'm going off. We're going we're gonna to edit this whole part here. But, again, what I, my prayer today is that we would be a church of people that would live in the tension of service and Sabbath. That we would be, God would form us to be a church that would wash the feet of this world. And that we would serve and not be afraid of that. That we would be healthy, but at the same time we would understand what health looks like. And that we'd be a family and that we'd rally together in times of opposition. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I refuse to allow the enemy to attack me with time. What you're building at Inspire isn't going to happen in one year. It's not going to happen in two. It's not going to happen in three or four or five. This is, you're in this for eternity. You're not just in it for the long run. You're in it for eternity. And so I... Lord, I pray for me and the leaders in this room and everybody else so that we be patient with the work that God is doing in this church. But at the same time, we wouldn't use that as an excuse not to put our hands to the plow. And so will you teach us how to work, teach us how to rest, teach us how to fight, teach us how to pray, teach us how to rally. And would you teach us to do all those things together? And Lord, will we continue to be a church in the Bay Area? that shows the Bay Area what it looks like, what the kingdom of heaven, a glimpse of heaven on earth looks like. So, Father, I pray a blessing upon everyone in this room, Lord, and bless them in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.